for banks to be able to look to the future, they will need to think less conservative. The tech people want to be at the table with the, with the public officials. We didn't start these companies because we were going to take over the world. We started the companies because there were issues. Hello and thanks for joining us on Banking Remix, the new podcast from Veritran. I'm your host, Katie Yano-Small, the founder and editor of Upana. On this podcast, we talk to leaders in digital finance about how traditional banking is being remixed, how it's being spun together with new technologies, concepts and data, with the aim of creating better customer experiences and more intuitive, integrated services. Today's guest is the phenomenal Natalia Olsen Ortecho. Natalia is an innovation visionary who's founded multiple companies herself and advises to a series of leading institutions on innovation topics. She wears many hats, including being a Techstars mentor, an innovation advisor to the World Bank, and a global ambassador for the Silicon Valley Forum. Previously, Natalia was a presidential appointee under President Obama in the US Small Business Administration. Natalia, it's a real honor to have you here to discuss what makes banking innovation succeed. Well, no, thank you for having me. To kick off, tell us a little bit about some of the initiatives that you're involved with at the moment. Thank you. That's always a great question because, um, you know, I tend to get to love so many different things. And so I recently have decided to raise an investment fund. Uh, This investment fund is uh, focusing on health and agriculture, uh, and it, w- it will include, you know, everything that technology can solve in these two industries, which, as you know, in the pandemic have become increasingly, increasingly important. Uh, folks really, um, you know, don't understand how on earth we had run out of toilet paper in our supermarkets. <laughs> uh, supply chain, how do we get fresh food? How do we even ha- know how to cook when we're stuck at home, you know, uh, and restaurants aren't open, right? This is a, what situations like the pandemic has taught us. Uh, so uh, it's called the Honest Impact Fund. And um, that's one of the things that I think uh, will be really interesting for, for folks around the world. Uh, we have great uh, regions like Africa and LATAM uh, who are producing and, and are innovating. And there's a, a lot of young people uh, in, these, in these regions uh, they're demanding uh, digital transformation. They're demanding an upgrade to their systems. They're demanding, uh, you know, ways for us to to improve uh, what we do every day. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, those are some of the things I'm doing. I'm an advisor for, like you said, many different institutions. Uh, I'm hoping that at one point we're able to really grow uh, these these new innovative ways, especially in government, which is something I did before. So, um, you know. There's innovation in every corner of the world. Yeah, there sure is. So tell me about some of the projects that you've been most proud to work on during your career. Sure. Um, well, uh, like you said, I was part of the Obama administration, uh, but one of the things that really resonated during that time um, was, you know, we were in a recession, the worst recession we'd had been in a century. Um, banks weren't lending. Uh, small businesses were really having a difficult time. Uh, cash was low. Uh, really, folks were, were trying to, to make sure that to get by, right? Um, and so I was before I was the uh, SBA administrator, 
um, I served in the Innovation Advisory Board for the country. And what was interesting about this is that it wasn't only about innovation, it was about competitiveness. So how do we compete? How do we look to the future? Because this was 2009, 2010. How do we look to the future for not only the U.S. to be competitive, but upon our own shoulders, upon our economy, so many other countries uh, were doing badly, right, uh, economically. It was a ripple effect that in many ways, um, you know, kind of our fault in some ways. Um, and so we had to really make sure to get cash into the economy. Um, and we had to be very, very creative. Uh, one of the things that I'm so proud of is uh, how we got crowdfunding uh, into the Jobs Act in 2010. Uh, a subject that was very, you know, in a, w new ways of thinking about getting funding out there, which is the collective crowd, right? Um, that triggered a lot of conversations on how do we open uh, data, how the government, uh, this is very much very important, how public and private en uh, entities have to work together. Um, so here we had an entire amount of data that was not being used in the best way possible. And so we created OpenGov. Um, and so a lot of the sharing economy, uh, you know, entities uh, like Airbnb and uh, um, let's see, Uber and all the sharing, all these different companies, uh, how do we manage that, you know, that information for folks to be able to, to uh, access you know, data and, and be able to get paid at the same time, right? Um, and so for me, it was, it was really just a new idea that was very, uh, people thought it was never going to happen. Um, and I love seeing companies like Kiva and, you know, so many of these that uh, created a crowdfunding platform in order for small businesses to, to get going. And what's interesting to this is that as we were working, right, to get banks to lend money, to get banks to, to put money out because the way it works in the U.S. is the U.S. government guarantees those loans. The banking industry was not going to take a risk. And so we guarantee, the government says, please, you have to lend and we'll guarantee. So we had to go, keep going back to Congress um, and saying we have to raise the, um, the, the limit every year because we have to keep guaranteeing for banks to, to be able to lend. Um, and many banks would say, well, you know, it, interesting. I um, I I heard that this little company raised like you know, a hundred thousand dollars through a crowdfunding platform, and I originally we weren't going to lend to them, but after the fact that they were able to convince the crowd to uh, you know, invest in them, the banking, the small banks started looking at this as as a as a way to prove themselves, right? To to they're like, wow, they were actually are bankable because um, they were able to get that amount. Uh, and so a lot of the, this became a criteria for some of the small businesses, especially, you know, in the Midwest uh, and in rural areas. They're like, I can't, I can't believe it. So it's, it's, so it's something that, that they were very, uh, not so much keen on, but then it, it, it pivoted their attitude, right? Uh, and so they realized that this was coming, uh, that something new was going to happen. And some of the banks who, you know, took upon themselves to do, to be more open on that. And it's interesting that, um, that there was that um, dynamic where the crowdfunding thereby drove forward more bank lending. It's not like crowdfunding kind of came in 
as something that replaced bank lending, right? It was it was something that that, that, exactly. that gave the banks more confidence, as you say. Yeah, exactly. And this was this, this is where innovation uh, from the private sector uh, needs to go hand in hand with with regulatory institutions, right? Uh, to prove um, that they can work together. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things that that um, fear fear is always that um, those issues that we shouldn't uh, be so you know, fear, fear, I mean, afraid of. It's just we have to be able to take risks, be able to not, you know, to, to accept new ideas. Because if you don't accept some of these ideas, like crowdfunding, for example, we, it would have been very difficult for many businesses to have survived. If we look more specifically at digital finance and, and banking, you know, uh, there's been, I mean, across all industries, as you mentioned, during the pandemic, there's been a huge transformation. What have you seen? What's What's been most interesting for you as you look at maybe the financial sector and, and how that's um, evolved over the past 12 months? Well, um, because I've been in the sector for about 12 years, right, um, from the lending part to, you know, raising capital, uh, to making sure that people, uh, you know, can educate themselves. One of the things that we we had a three-year campaign uh, was, you know, just looking at your chip and your cards, right? Uh, cybersecurity uh, was key because of the cyber attacks we've had. Um, and so today, this past 12 months, uh, a lot of this information, right, has been online. We we have been ordering things online more than ever before because we were in a situation like the pandemic. Um, but what has been really transformational, I think, this past year uh, was the fact that, you know, you're able to handle your own money. You know, platforms like Robinhood uh, really became uh, synonymous to how you handle your own finances. Um, you were, you, know, you can invest directly now. Uh, you can manage your, 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 your funding and, and making more money and so on. And while you're sitting at home because you're not allowed to go out, um, you, you tend to be recreative. Uh, and so it's, it's been interesting how uh, these platforms have really enabled the individual uh, through decentralization as well, uh, which is the part that cryptocurrency plays a really strong role in, right? Uh, people are diversifying. Uh, they're going away from the traditional way, you know, fun, you know investment, the traditional investments. Uh, people are starting to, to take better control of, of, you know, of their finances, learning more. Uh, my father would never, ever had imagined that he would be investing in crypto until I, you know, I, I've been in the crypto industry for years already. Um, and he really, you know, at his age, he had every, you know, someone else manage all his money. Uh, and then he started being empowered by saying, oh, my God, Natalia made so much money <laughs> doing crypto. Um, what, 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 how is that possible? And, uh, and so I had, you know, I taught him how to do this. And, and, uh, and he right now, you know, as a retired person, he actually spends a couple hours a day uh, just learning and reading and, and understanding where his finances uh, are doing. And he's taking some of that money and he's investing it um, in, um, in a nonprofit. So he's actually being able to help kids in Honduras uh, put them through college. Uh, you know, so he's able to make money and being able to use it in a different way. So I think um, I think individuals this past year have are, are learning more. They're, they're using 
uh, the different tools that uh, that you know technology has created and it has enabled, uh, and they're using it in a way that that also is is good. That the, their information is actually uh, a lot more thorough, um, and I think that's where the world is going to be going. Uh, people are really going to be you know uh, using better traceability. That's what the blockchain does, which enables cryptocurrency. Um, the blockchain. Uh, his is already being used for transactions uh, for housing, for example, uh, against uh, narcotrafico, you know, drug trafficking. Uh, we're using it to trace where, you know, you're saying you have organic tomatoes. We want to make sure that they're organic tomatoes. Uh, supply chain plays a, a big role. And so we're tracing um, not only, you know, how fraud can happen, but your, your products that you use every day. And because that's an impact not only on your on your climate and on your community, um, but these are all interrelated. That's one of the things I want to make sure people understand is uh, you'd be surprised how your actions, and this is something I learned from the, from, from our, you know, our, our um, the years, early years during the recession was that our domino effect of our market, of our housing industry had a huge effect across the world because, you know, the dollar is the, the, the currency that is being used across the world. Uh, it is the safest. Um, and so we have to be careful and be sure that whatever event, anything impact that we create as individual human beings, that has a tremendous effect across the world. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it, that, that in some ways, as you mentioned, life is becoming more decentralized. Cryptocurrencies are more used, people have more control or more more ways of, of, of managing their money more directly, and yet at the same time, we are somehow, it seems, more and more connected uh, than we ever have been in the past. It's an interesting um, dichotomy there, I think, isn't it? Yeah, well, this is why... I think folks don't understand what decentralization is sometimes um, because we are very interconnected, right? And uh, people now more than ever know more information about you than it just within a few hours, right? They, they can tell what are your, you know, your tastes, what, what you're going to buy in a month. <laughs> um, and, and living between Europe and the U.S., what's interesting is the data privacy, uh, how in, the, in Europe... There's a consciousness about this, uh, a lot more, I think, um, uh, sometimes too much, but uh, a lot more of what your privacy entails and how we're going to protect that privacy, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's uh, it's tough because you're using all, you know, and artificial intelligence, you're using you know, data analytics, all this information that uh, you're, you're basing regulatory uh, policies, right? Uh, based on information that you before wouldn't have 10 years ago. Um, so it's a, it's a little ironic. Uh, but I like the fact that, that there is a, a focus because I always say if Europe can do it, then the U.S. will follow. We will. I mean, we are the, the, we are the producers of the technology. We are the, 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 the country where Amazon and Facebook and Google, Microsoft, all these, com- all these companies that get constantly criticized. Uh, but we are the innovative country that produced them, right? Um, so we want to be able to innovate and not have so many hurdles. But at the same time, I think this is where a lot of the tech people want to be at the table with the with the public 
officials. They, they, they didn't, you didn't, we didn't start these companies because we were going to take over the world. We started the companies because there was issues, um, because, you know, people couldn't get the right information. People didn't know anything about their friends. People couldn't buy the supplies uh, to get to them. Um, so it's always about resolving an issue. Um, and so, you know, when you start thinking of decentralization, uh, it's about empowering individuals. Uh, it's about giving back because it's it's we have become too much of a you know we believe too much in the government that will manage our interests and 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 unfortunately um, we have given up a lot of our power a lot a lot of our identity a lot of our what you know our decision making so we when we start decentralizing it's, it's empowering people to make those decisions to take you know control of your finances. Uh, to be able to say, oh no, let me let me see what I should be investing in, right? That's where the centralization of power comes. You know, I, I'm I think that governments should be smaller. I think that people should be able to make the decisions that affect their lives. I think that things like you know, health, your health uh, data is is controlled by by the medical industry. Why should that be? I mean. So that's where I'm, I'm saying there's a there's going to be a big movement, uh, and the younger generation knows this. They they've been you know they've been at it already. Um, they they want they don't want to be told constantly what to do, but they want to be able to have an input, have you know a voice. And I think this is where a lot of you know the financial institutions and the regulatory institutions will have to really consider uh, how they open that up. If you think about where um, where banks are today, and, and and some of the innovation changes and trends that are that are that are changing today and that are coming in the future, where do you see the biggest challenges for banks when it comes to keeping up with that innovation or or adapting to these changing times? What do you see the the big challenges being for for traditional banks? Um, I think that the main challenges for banks um, is going to be you know. Uh, Technology. I mean, honestly, it, it's they have to look at customer service. Uh, they have to look at customer retention. You have to upgrade your systems. You have to be able to to you know look at technology and bring in entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs of all ages. I mean, but entrepreneurs who can you know easily hack your systems, right? Uh, we, that's what we we did that when hack, hackers were you know thought to be evil or something. Well, we had hackathons in every state. We had hackathons in every you know uh, uh, department because it would have taken us six months to try and figure out the issues, which with, with hackers as, as our allies, it took 72 hours. Um, so bringing in uh, these, these folks who can easily, uh, you know, cyber attack uh, your systems uh, makes you stronger because then you realize what the, what the issues are. Um, you know, sometimes the, in the banking industry, there's a lot of um, conservative uh, thought processes, and uh, you know they they have to admit that you know bringing in uh, new innovative ways will improve their future customer retention. Uh, if you talk to, and we've done, I've done this with Citibank, for example, we um, they have uh, a friend of mine started their innovation lab, and they brought in entrepreneurs and ways for them to to start looking at what else they should be looking for um, as, as far as, you know, services to their clients. Uh, and they interviewed a lot of young people and, and a lot of people weren't, young people were not uh, 
really keen on even opening a, a bank account with an institution so well known and respected. Uh, they would rather do online uh, with a lot of these online banking platforms. Uh, they would rather invest their money in platforms like Robinhood and, and put money into crypto because they just felt out of touch. Uh, and I think this is where a lot of banks have to start engaging um, these folks that they might not have been part of their dynamic. They're not the multimillionaires, but look at all the young people have, who have become multimillionaires by using other systems <laughs> and, and making a lot more money in, in, in crypto, for example. Now they're bankable, right? Uh, but I bet you anything that a lot of these, in, a lot, especially, in, in, I don't know so much in Europe, but in the US, uh, if you don't have a good credit score, you can't get a bank account. I mean, seriously? <laughs> it's like, you might have all the money, but no, if you don't have a good credit score, unless you make a deposit of like, you know, 100,000, something ridiculous. Um, and so I'm like, what on earth? So so you're not engaging, uh, the, in, in modern times, you're not engaging uh, folks who might not have made money the traditional way, but not nothing illegal, but we have to be a lot more receptive to, to new ideas, I think, in an industry such as banking. How do you see the role of banks in the in the maybe the decade ahead when you when you consider all the trends towards decentralization? What's what's going to be the role for a for a traditional bank do you do you see in the future? Well, I think just like we've seen bank banking, you know, I'm an urban planner as well, and um, when we see the the, the office space uh, being remanaged, redesigned, right? Uh, we have these huge buildings uh, with no one in it, um, with no, you know, ATMs came in. We don't need a, a, the cashier, you know, the, the bank cashier. I don't even know how it's called anymore. Um, so we, we, we'll have to go ahead, I think, in the next decade, um, look at, at other types of currency. You know, uh, a lot of governments are thinking about a digital token. Uh, China has moved on on this. Um, I think that globally speaking, and, and um, we have to know that we all our customers cannot be from the same country, right? Um, only we only have a very few banks that are international banks, um, banks that that you know. I think one of the things right now is like what I am, right? Digital nomad. I'm I'm all over, all over the world. Um, for me to open up a bank account, it was difficult. Uh, for me to open a bank account in Spain, uh, even though they made it easy, they made it very easy because because of who I am. <laughs> so it made it easier, but it would have been harder for a lot of folks. So I think that the globally speaking, banks have to adapt to you know foreign currencies. They have to realize that uh, you can have huge bigger markets if if you look to open up in other countries. Um, and not just, you don't have to be a major institution to do that. So I think that, that there has to also be, just like we had deals, uh, we negotiated our IP, our patenting process between the U.S. and Europe. I think we will need to do more of that type of agreements between different countries on, on, on regulatory uh, transactions. And I mean, in the last 10 years, we've been able to, you know, help transactions happen because we were able to open that government, the government, the data uh, by the government. Um, so all those transactions 
that were enabled to send money right um, abroad to to help families all over the world. You know, people immigrants come in and they work two three jobs and they're sending money to other countries, which are la remesas, which um, entire countries like El Salvador and, and Nicaragua, Honduras depend on. So those transactions became more secure. Um, and there's blockchain companies working with MoneyGram, for example, to look at how this is going to be done. Uh, and there's been a lot of competition too, which enables that transaction to be cheaper um, for not to be too costly. So I think from a global perspective, that's going to be something I'd like to see. And I think it will happen uh, because um, just, you know, as an American, I'm living in two different countries. <laughs> so uh, if you make it easier for me to be able to transact and pay things, uh, I'll be a happy customer. But if you make it difficult, it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, the central theme of this podcast, Natalia, as you know, is is remixing the bank, right? So, if there was a single element that you would that you think that banks should add into the mix or, or take out of the mix, what would it be? That's a great question. Um, let's see. I, you know, what could banks change, right, to to be able to to well, uh, for banks to be able to look to the future, they will need to um, think. Um, uh, Think less conservative, uh, adopt uh, new ways of, 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 of you know, engaging uh, the not only the entrepreneurs, but the public policymakers, right? I think one of the things that, that we don't do enough is, uh, for example, the venture capital community. Uh, we have a great program uh, that, the U, the, that the government enables VCs because the banking industry. So this is how the venture capital community came to be. Banks weren't lending money. They will not lend money to you if you have a uh, student loan. And as, as you know, as in the U.S., everyone has a student loan. Barack Obama did not pay off his student loan until he was a senator. Senator. So we, you know, there's way there's 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 too much emphasis on on, on your credit score on and things that 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 doesn't shape you as a person. Um, and I think that this will have to be broken and will have to be disrupted uh, because uh, there's going to be other winners. Um, and I think that that, that change uh, has to have a really good conversation between public policymakers um, and the investment community. Uh, and the VCs have taken all the risk. You know, um, I was having a conversation with Tim Draper, one of those famous VCs in Silicon Valley. So Tim got a $6 million SBIC, this program that the U.S. government gives to venture capital because they realize we don't know how to invest, so we're going to give it to the people who know how to invest. He has created billions of dollars for those $6 million uh, and millions of jobs just because they, he was given the opportunity to go and invest. And, and, uh, and I think that industry of investment uh, will have to look at, at more disruptive companies because the banking industry only invests in the very traditional, right? So we're, we're, we're gonna, you're gonna, you have to prove time and time again that you can pay this money back. Okay, I, I, we get it, absolutely. But look at the VC community. What makes Silicon Valley, what Silicon Valley is today is because of the venture capital, all the risk capital, uh, who said we have to invest. The government is giving us money to invest in the disruptive, most disruptive thing, and we're gonna make, we're gonna do the due diligence, we're gonna do all that. Um, so I think there has to be a better connection, uh, and I think a little bit riskier because we can't just 
we don't have enough VCs <laughs> to do this. Um, I just think that, that, you know, family funds will be something that will have to be more integrated into banking. Um, you know, I don't know, there has to be a way that bank has to change and, and take on a lot more risk. And I learned that it was heartbreaking to see these companies not get their loan, not get loans during the recession and, and, and go under. Um, and it was just amazing how the power of the crowd came came to the rescue, right? So. That is amazing. That is really interesting. That's um, quite a turning point, I think, for the industry, right? Yeah. No, it has to. They have to turn. They have to. You know, it, it's as in any business. If you don't don't change, if you don't get on, <laughs> on you know, new ways of, of diversifying, new ways of looking at your business and pivoting when the time is right, um, you will not grow as an industry. You will not grow as a business. So and that's why you have the bigger banks, right? They're very protected. But the smaller banks are the ones that actually are having issues, you know, having problems because they, they have to, uh, they're competing so much with the bigger banks. Um, and I think that's where... There's going to be a, a, some good things. I've seen so many ba- smaller banks become mid-sized banks uh, because they, 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 they went ahead and, and tried new things. Um, and you know, uh, that's how we've seen, I don't know where you're at exactly, but you, I've seen the, the you know, bank in Boston you know, change about 10 different names. They've been acquired or acquired by banks who were small. And so <laughs> it's those small banks that became very uh, innovative, I think, um, and brought new ways to do things. Natalia, uh, our final question is, is is thinking about the way that the future generations will, will manage their money. So how do you think that your kids will manage their money um, when, they, uh, when they're out in the world, you know, doing, doing their own thing? Well, how, do you see, how do you see the next generation? What's money going to look like for them? Well, money already looks funny to, to teenagers today um, because um, they, they, they'll tell you a story. And this is why I get worried about, about the generation that didn't have a paper route. So in the U.S., when we were like seven, eight years old, we have a paper route. So we deliver papers on our bike and we get 25 cents. Uh, we have you know, ways of making money. Uh, we understand what the what the currency looks like. It's not it's not in a, it's not your iPhone or it's not your you know credit card. It is the hard earned money, <laughs> um, and I think this is where I, I I honestly I want more kids to, to our kids to be able to understand what it is to work and 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 understand the value of that dollar, uh, what it took to to make that money. Right. Uh, sometimes it's so much easier when you swipe a card and realize that, ah, this keeps coming. Look at that. <laughs> um, I think that the, the next generation um, hopefully will realize that, that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees um, and it doesn't grow on your phone either. Um, but I think that in the next generation, uh, folks are going to be, you know, mindful. I, I'm hoping mindful of, of, of how we make money, how parents and, and grandparents have made their money. Um, where it is to start a new business. I always tell policymakers, uh, young policymakers, look, I wish you could start a business or, or work in a small business or work you know, as a, as a waitress because you really understand what it is to, to work hard um, and to make regulatory policies that might, is going to affect <laughs> a lot of these folks. Um, but I think the younger generation uh, will we'll have a, not only the, our basic traditional currency, I think that uh, crypto and other 
cryptocurrencies will actually uh, enable a, transa a transactional based barter system in a way, right? I think that uh, a lot of folks um, are starting to realize, you know, quid pro quo. Well, you know, I'm going to give you a service. I'm going to get you know, my service. My data is worth something, right? We're looking at that in, in Europe. Your data will have to be, you know, it is worth something. Uh, you as an individual are worth something. Um, every action that you make can worth something. That's what I like so much about the NFT industry with the blockchain. You take a picture and it's worth something because it means that you didn't uh, create, you were creating something special and that giving worth to things that we didn't think had worth um, will be very interesting in the future. I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but, but I think folks, uh, younger generations will, will understand that a little bit better. What, what, how, what's your worth? And what that it will that how that will look like from a banking perspective or financial perspective, I don't know. But you know, 15 years ago we weren't even talking about cryptocurrency, and today um, it's it's the biggest topic. So uh, we'll see. I, I will leave leave that question. Um, I guess you should interview some of the younger <laughs> younger folks as well um, to see what their reaction would be. But um, but I think that there's going to be something. Mm -hmm. No, but it's such an amazing shift, isn't it? From 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 literally having having coins and and, and dollar bills to um, to not just going through the the the, the, the digital money, um, you know, managing your money on your phone or through an app, but then to, to be taking the next step into cryptocurrency. It's a mass, it's such a massive change in a generation when you stop to think about it exactly. like that, right? With your mm -hmm. your anecdote about the the paper route, right? Exactly. Um, and it's only been you know 12 years. <laughs> your iPhone was yeah. done in 2007 and your first app was 2008. So everything has happened in less than 15 years. It's incredible, eh? Yeah. Natalia, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, and this has been a really interesting conversation about innovation and finance and, and, um, and, and the way things are going. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Always happy to you know, talk and, and provide some insights and, and be able to help uh, anyone who's asking for any help and you know, keep an open mind and always try new things. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Banking Remix by Veritran. Be sure to subscribe to the series in Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so you'll be the first to hear the next interview. Until then, keep up with the latest in digital finance on Vnext, that's Veritran's blog, where the team discusses news and trends in banking transformation. Don't miss it. Head over to veritran.com blog. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Banking Remix Insights.